0: This episode of the Paddock Pass Podcast is brought to you by Renthal and Fly Racing.
1: Welcome to the latest edition of the Paddock Pass Podcast, brought to you by Renthal Street and also Fly Racing. We are going to talk about the last embers of preseason testing, uh, which involved an exciting trip for our correspondent and colleague, much-loved colleague, David Emmett, who's on the call, uh, who was in Portimao in Portugal, of course, and then Neil Morrison, who was nowhere near the testing, but is our resident expert in motor 2 motor 3 and basically everything in the MotoGP universe. My name's Adam Wheeler. We are not joined by Steve English, as you can probably tell. I'm on hosting duties. Um, instead of choosing the golf course, he's decided to enter the gym, so convenient t- uh, timing for our Irish colleague. Uh, but at least he's looking after himself, uh, which is important because there's a fair few hours to get through in the World Superbike commentary box. Dave, first of all, uh, you were in Portimao for, for, you know, the first kind of the only preseason official test for the other classes. Uh, what did you learn? What did you see? Did you enjoy yourself? Did you eat lots of pasties? double M? Um, you know, how, how was the waistline?
0: Yeah, we're still uh, we're we're still working our uh, our way through at the end, Portugal's entire stock of pastel de nata, um, which <laughs> you know, if you call it a custard pie, it doesn't sound the same, but it is absolutely fantastic. Um, no, it was it was very good. It was very very um, it was worthwhile. I mean, one of the things was that the people said, you know, Portimao is not really a great track for actually doing much for for testing bikes and stuff, just because it's so physical. It's all up and down and all over the place, uh, so you learn more about yourself, or you learn more about the, you know the rider than the bike. Um, but there was some good stuff, you know. Pedro Acosta looking absolutely outstanding, and everyone already talking about him going to MotoGP, which seems sort of you know premature given he's um, it, it, yeah he's not even turned a wheel yet in in Moto Two, but he he just looks so good on a on a bike, and he was very fast, obviously. Um, um Moto Two, they were allowing chassis development again, but there's basically it's it's pretty much uh, what is it twenty four uh, calyxes and two MV Agustas and two uh, Bosco Scuro chassis, so um, there's not a great deal there. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I did ask around about the season because obviously we've had two seasons which have been extremely disrupted by the COVID 19 pandemic. Um, that situation is under control, and everyone was, uh, you know, including officials involved in this, they were all convinced that, you know, no, 21 races, it's all that they are all going to happen. There, there's no question marks about it. So, uh, yeah, strap in, it's going to be a long one.
1: Now you've been busy, you know, preparing material pre-season. Uh, you know, for motorcycle news as well. So you know, UK uh, readers will be able to read some of your insight, which is really cool. Um, have you been busy trying to, I don't know, get some more information, get some more predictions? Have you got a firm idea of, uh, you know, who you're going to tip going into the into the MotoGP championship?
2: Uh, yeah, I think MotoGP could be quite clear. There seems to be this young, upcoming kid. Called Mark Marquez that is back in uh, shape, back in Wait, business. no, wait,
1: no, it's not 2013. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Cycle four, cycle four, my friend. <laughs>
2: Apologies, yes. Uh, and in model two, model three, I mean, it does look quite interesting. It looks a little open in model two, I would say, with um, you know the three fastest guys moving up last year. Um, and you know, we've only been to two real tracks to to kind of base our, our, our things on. So I'm not absolutely sure about model two and how that's going to pan out but i think there's maybe four or five names that could be in the running there Model three i think um dennis Forger looks like a, a bit of a shoe in at the moment um but um you know I'm, I'm i would be more than happy to be proved wrong i think there's you know four or five guys that could potentially step up and and rival him um but uh, yeah everything points to a pretty exciting season ahead i would say across all three classes
1: Yeah, if you look overall, then you could say that the Gas Gas Aspar team, you know, where their riders in Moto Two and Moto Three, could be some could be a threat for the you know the Rebel KTM crew. I mean, it could be a good championship slugout between those two. But guys, there were some other news um, as we're recording the drop this morning. Uh, It's been talked about for quite a while, but uh, the return of Livia Supo uh, to be the team manager. I think that's his official position for Team Suzuki. Has um, been confirmed, you know. Uh, Supo obviously was the time a guy who had time for journalists back in the day uh, in his positions both with Ducati and HRC. Uh, Dave, what's what's your opinions on Supo coming back? I mean, obviously it's something that you know we have to stop saying obviously as well. As somebody commented to us <laughs> on social media as well this week, so not obviously. Uh, he was uh, somebody that you know Suzuki needed you know there was a direction there was a, a requirement really for some leadership there the the way the team was run by committee perhaps wasn't quite what the riders needed and you can see with teams like Red Bull KTM employing Francesco Guidotti to really focus on the the riders performance aspect of of the way teams and brands go racing is becoming more and more important So, Supo, you do wonder how much influence he's going to have in the garage or whether it's going to be in the whole operational side altogether, but Suzuki
0: finally have their man, it seems. Yeah, and they needed it mainly... Because and Super is exactly the kind of person that they did need. They needed uh, someone to manage the sort of the the, the logistics and the uh, and the and the people side of things. Uh, they've got uh, Ken, Kawahoo, Ken Gauchi and Sahara are both. Um, uh, fantastic technical managers. They they understood the project very well. They ran the uh, they, they ran the project side of it very well. And the bike is fantastic. There's no doubt about that. We saw that in the testing. Uh, but they needed someone just to oversee the whole project. Have the bigger po- uh, have a look at the bigger picture. Also, um, to allow uh, Kawuchi and Sahara to get on with their side of the job sort of thing. They were uh, running things by committee can work sort of quite well. It's just that it's time consuming because you're, t- you're, you're taking up the time of sort of five, uh, was it seven or eight people, I think, uh, who are involved in that or maybe five or six. But you're taking up a lot of time from a lot of people. And just having one person to do most of that work makes a, makes a difference. Uh, Supo is extremely experienced and always uh, on the personnel side, on the people side, if you like. He was never a technical manager. He was never in charge of um, uh, making decisions about uh, uh, what swing arm to be running or whatever, or uh, whether the whether the frame needed more flex. He was very much about putting the right people in the right place. Um, he's... Proven to be very good about that. Uh, from what we hear, he can be a bit um, uh, marmite. If you have to work for him, you either uh, you either you know love working for him, or uh, you do not love working for him. Um, uh, as journalists, you know we absolutely loved him. He loved to he loved to talk, and he would tell you he would tell you lots of things um he would never tell you things you were you weren't supposed to know um but he was always willing to talk always willing to share uh, insights it was always a pleasure to actually spend to uh, spend time to him and he's um uh i mean yeah I, I think it's great i um i'm really looking forward to it because i, I per- personally i always liked the guy
1: I think Supo's first due to talk to the press in Qatar. I mean, one of the first interesting questions for him will be why the procrastination? Uh, I mean, Suzuki could have lined him up last year. Uh, They decided not to. Uh, Maybe there was a reason for that. Maybe Supo couldn't get out of his previous role or there was some, I don't know, agreement issue that he didn't come to, to the team earlier. But, um, you know, we'll find that out in due course, of, of course. And Neil, what's, what's your opinion? I mean, do you think Supo is a good uh, conscription for Suzuki or, you know, should they have given their committee-based system more time?
2: Yeah, it's interesting what you just said there, Ed, about um, why <coughs> this appointment wasn't made sooner. If uh, Supo was indeed their man, um, I think Supo made it quite clear that he was uh, willing to listen to Suzuki um, this time last year when uh, David Brivio had uh, surprisingly left for F1. Um, and they opted to go with their own system um, perhaps it was just a case of um, we need to have the a, a guy who's very much like Brivio who is um, you know a, a people person and everyone sort of loves him um, as Dave mentioned, you know, Supo is uh, excellent at recruiting the right people um, um, but can maybe be slightly abrasive in some respects um, if you listen to some people that used to work for Honda um, but um, but yeah, you would say that maybe they always had the hope of luring Brivio back to Suzuki just with um, kind of media stories and some of uh, Sahara's comments through last year. Um, he said that, you know, he was still in contact with Brivio and there were numerous murmurs throughout the end of uh, 2021 that Brivio might actually give up his uh, his role with uh, the Alpine team and move back. But then when it was confirmed recently that he was he was staying there, um, it seemed that they they had to move and uh, and and go for a Supo. So I think it's an interesting move for sure. I mean, as Dave said, Supo has you know fantastic levels of experience. Um, he was key to Ducati's return to MotoGP. I think back in two thousand um, and two, two thousand and three. Sorry, and a lot of quite uh, invaluable. And crucial decisions which set them on the right course to win the Riders Championship in two thousand and seven, I think, were basically um, down to him. You know, you think about um, the switch to Bridgestone tires, about recruiting Casey Stoner. Um, you know, he was uh, he was definitely a guy that um, had a, had a bit of foresight uh, in that time, and you know, he, he was able to recruit Stoner to Honda back in two thousand and eleven, which uh, had a victorious. Um, uh, consequences as well, so I think it's a it's certainly an interesting appointment um, and uh, as David said, I'm kind of looking forward to it because Super was always quite open with us um, you compare him to someone like Alberto Pugin it was night and day in terms of the insight and the time that would be given to the media um, compared, to, compared to Alberto so um, I'm looking forward to it I think it'll be interesting to see how they react to that kind of figure and um, I guess it's a crucial time because they're trying to tie down Joanne Mir for another two years. They're trying to tie down Alex Rintz for another two years. And, um, you know, it looks as though, on paper at least, they should be up challenging for maybe the championship again this year. So, maybe it will Supo be the final piece of the puzzle?
0: Yeah, I mean, also worth saying that uh, Super was in charge of Honda when Mark uh, Marcus was signed. Now, it was fairly clear that, that uh, Marcus was going to go to... Uh, Honda because of the reps on time, um, but you know you still have to do it. He still managed to sort of sort that out after uh, Casey Stoner had uh, had retired uh, so uh, yes, and the the contrast with Alberto Pooge could definitely not be bigger I mean you know Alberto Puig. you always think uh, uh, Alberto Puig has only two words for you, and the second <laughs> one of those words is off, so uh, it's always <laughs> a uh, uh, um, he's always a tricky one shall we say I've got a lot of time for Alberto <laughs> yeah
1: you know, I mean Alberto says says it straight doesn't he I yeah, mean there's no messing around yeah,
0: yeah, yeah exactly 100% but um, he, he never looks like he's um, uh, he, he would like to spend some time with, uh, with you for a chat
1: Neil, I mean, you're completely right. I mean, Supo is identified with Casey Stoner, uh, both in the Ducati and the HRC era. I think that's, I'll see, something Suzuki might be looking at if they want to attract a rider, say, Ralph Fernandez or a Pedro Acosta, uh, you know, if, if Supo can grab the next hot thing. I mean, you said that, you know, even if he can forge a relationship with Joan Mir as well and, and keep him in blue, then that could be, a you know, a, a significant achievement, I think. Um, as for keeping Alex Rins another two years in Suzuki, I do wonder if that's as much as a priority as trying to sign somebody like Mir and then adopt their their philosophy they had before with Brivia of having one established rider and one very young rider as they did with, you know, uh, Rins initially. And then, of course, Maverick Binales in the past, uh, you know, somebody like uh, an Acosta, which, you know, is still ridiculous that we're talking about him coming into MotoGP, but he's the type. That uh, you know, a factory MotoGP team like Suzuki will be aiming for. So, you know, I think Suzuki, I think Supo is going straight into the kitchen. I mean, he's going to have to get busy, you know, with the heat and the discussion and all the negotiations, and try and work out a bit of a future for for the factory in the next coming years. So, it's 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 not going to be a, an easy baptism.
2: I remember um, at the end of 2020, I was writing a feature on Ducati's history in MotoGP, and I contacted Supo just for the feature, um, and uh, after we. I'd finished asking questions, we, we kind of chatted for 10 minutes or so about the state of MotoGP and I mean it was still as though he was a team manager in the paddock, the things that he was saying, how he was looking at young riders, at that point Aprilia um, had found out that um, neither Andrea De Vizioso nor Karl Crutzlow wanted to ride for them in 2021 and they had begun a mad sort of scramble to find a name to partner alongside Alicia Spargro. Eventually it was uh, Lorenzo Salvadori. But um, yeah, Super, the way he was talking was like a man that was uh, kind of in the driving scene. He was saying, oh yeah, they should look for this guy, but it seems like he's not really going to go there. And if I was them, I would go for him, but it seems that he's already tied into a long-term arrangement elsewhere and he's still very much a man that is in the know and connected to everything that seemed going on in the paddock, both with rider movements and with um, the needs and and, and requirements of certain teams. So I would say that he has done his homework. He's been keeping up to date with affairs, absolutely. Um, And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll get uh, an inside line into the whole deal when we get to Qatar.
0: Uh, Yeah, one word. You mentioned Pedro Acosta. The impression I got from talking to people was he's staying with KTM. So if we uh, see him next year, it will be on a KTM in MotoGP. Guys, uh, as you know, we like to remind our listeners,
1: you know, the Padded Pass podcast is presented by Rental Street Clip-On Handlebars, well, Rental Street, in fact, and the Clip-On Handlebars are premium race spec clip-ons uh, developed by some of the world's fastest riders. Speaking of which, Dave, have you thought about getting some rental bars for your <laughs> BMW yet?
0: I've, I've got other uh, uh, bits of um, bling to add to it first. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, I have. Uh, uh, there was a couple of motocross bikes in the paddock and I was sort of you know, looking at the bars, uh, saw the, the, the that they were rental and was thinking, oh yeah, no, that's quite nice. Yeah, I'll have to have a think about that. Other news in MotoGP
1: world this week. Uh, David, we saw Peko Bagnaia being the first piece of the puzzle for the silly season. Two more years, uh, unsurprising, completely. Uh, you know, Ducati's arguably their number one target, firmly settled in the factory team. Uh, I think it was a question of when rather than if this announcement would would come forth and uh, Pekka's going to be sorted for the next two years in red. Uh, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, th- that makes it four people with a uh, contract for, for next year. It's completely unsurprising, possibly the least surpri- uh, unsurprising news. Um, because Peko had a fantastic second half of the half of the season uh he won four of the last six races um he looks really really strong uh you know he really challenged for the title he's looks totally in control of that uh um uh, of that ducati also he seemed to be, he's, uh, I mean, he was very happy with the, uh, with the UK during testing. And also, it seems that the, this deal was basically sort of sorted out during the tests between Sepang and uh, Mandalika. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, it's a great move. It's, um, It's an obvious move. It's one of the. It's exactly what Ducati need. They need that continuity as well. Um, I interviewed his uh, crew chief, which I'm just writing up at the moment, uh, Christian Gabarini, and uh, you know, Gabarini was just so impressed with his speed, the fact that he's become one of the strongest breakers in the paddock, um, and was convinced that he could be he could be champion next year or this year rather.
1: Yeah, an Italian on an Italian bike as well. Uh, I think he's Andrea Davizios' natural successor in Ducati Colors. Neil, that perhaps leaves Jack Miller sweating a little bit more going into the season opener, doesn't it? Because as we've said many times before, Ducati have this stable of riders and even you know some other targets where younger riders in Moto2 and even Moto3 will be looking at the Desmosedici now thinking, there's a motorcycle I need to get in, in the Premier class.
2: I don't think it changes much for Miller. I think Miller is uh, <clears throat> entirely realistic and pragmatic with regards to his situation. Um, and as Dave said, it was the least surprising news in the paddock. I think anyone uh, with any <clears throat> sort of basic knowledge of the sport watching the end of 2021 would tell you that that was that was a goer. That was that was going to be one of the the first contracts uh, handed out and prepared and signed um, for this year. Just because Pecco ticks all the boxes, as you said, an Italian um, in an Italian team on an Italian bike, um, been with Ducati since he stepped up to MotoGP, uh, knows how to ride the bike. Probably of all the guys in the GP22 during preseason testing, was the most positive, you would say. Um, and yeah, as I think Dave mentioned, someone that Ducati expect, not hope, to win the title this year. Um, so you know, this is another kind of uh, show of faith. Um, and confidence from them, um, but I think Miller. It was always going to be, you know, for for someone like Jorge Martín, someone like an Bastinini, it wasn't going to be two seats in the uh, factory Ducati team that are up for grabs. It was always going to be one, and I think the the Miller one was the the more obvious of the two. Um, so I, I don't think Miller. Um, would necessarily be cast by that. I think he, he would know that that was the situation uh, quite a bit in advance, that Pekka would be the, the one they would target to sign up ahead of him. And that's just natural because, you know, Pekka was fighting for the championship last year. He won um, three races uh, at the end of the year and looked absolutely formidable. Um, Miller looked formidable on occasions, but still has yet to really piece together a, a sort of a championship challenge. Um, so I think, uh, yeah. Jack would have known that the first five or six races of this year Would determine probably his future for 2023 And I think that that was the, the situation at the end of last year too
1: yeah it seems for Honda with Mark Marquez and of course now Ducati Pekka Bangnaya have their, re- their re- kind of leading candidates settled I think now the pressure is also on like Yamaha to do the deal with Cuatro or for Suzuki to do the deal with Mir uh, KTM of course have Brad Binder you know signed up as well and I think Oliveira is on an option so he's you know the rebel KTM guys are pretty much settled as well but both Pekka and Jack Miller are the subject of uh, you know some of the new se- episodes in the new series of MotoGP Unlimited um, um, that was some more news from, from the land of MotoGP because they held uh, premiere showings and events in both Madrid and Paris last week. Guys, uh, the reaction to some of the trailers um, and some of the people who have seen preview episodes I mean, I haven't seen any. I, I assume none of, neither of you two have, uh, just from our talk in the general WhatsApp group. Um, the reaction so far seems to be pretty good to this kind of material. Uh, you know, th- I think there's a fear that GP fans would be off put by a very basic and um, a series that doesn 't have much insight, and then perhaps people who are new to the sport won 't have the kind of spectacular edge that we expect them to to derive from a gp um, that doesn 't seem to be the case from from first hearings, showings, whatever else uh, we 're on the right path with having a series that is a tremendous asset to the series um What, what do you think though i mean what 's been your vibe from from the reaction since they announced it
2: I mean my vibe is what 's not to love. I mean, you have uh, basically behind-the-scenes access.
1: No, we're talking about the MotoGP Unlimited now. now. <laughs> That's just a general feeling for life. <laughs> uh, yes.
2: Um, well, with that also, I'd, I would say what's not to love? Um, I'm, I'm, I wasn't just describing my current uh, view uh, of uh, <laughs> your two mugs in front of me on the, the Zoom screen.
1: No, we do love you for your your attitudes to life, I have to say.
2: Yeah, but just going off the the two-minute trailer and then some of the reaction from people that were at the premiere uh, in Madrid last week, it does seem that um, it is a warts-and-all uh, type uh, show. I mean, there was some fabulous storylines last year. Um, I think we talked about this in last week's show. I think I said that they would have to do a pretty major job to mess it up just because there was some real drama and, and, and interesting things going on. Um, and the trailer hints that um, that is absolutely the case. They've, they've honed in on some of the more interesting storylines of the year. Marquez's recovery, Pecco's rise to uh, Championship Contender, finalists uh, is with yamaha i mean there's uh, there's lots of juicy stuff there and going off the trailer um there was a a bit where we see maverick saying to one yamaha engineer it might be one of the japanese engineers say let me go home and i'll take another bike and i can race i mean it seems that we'll have a, a kind of a, a fly on the wall account of uh, exactly what happened uh, in austria whenever he uh, basically had that meltdown so um yeah, again, you know, what's not to love? It sounds like it's going to be good. It looks like it's going to be well shot, well made, well put together, flashy um, production. And uh, as we're going to hear, I guess, later in the show ads, um, you know, the the people that got into it have great experience in other sporting documentaries made for Amazon. So, um, you know, the kind of the, the know-how of how to put these shows punchy, interesting. Well made, it is very much there and very much present uh, with uh, with this MotoGP Unlimited.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, we've got an interview with Arna Monras, who's one of the main content, one of two content directors for the series. But but before we get onto that, Dave. The series is going to air on March the 14th, which is shortly after Formula One's um, drive to survive, which is pretty much the reference, it seems, for sports documentary series at the moment, or one of the references, certainly for motorsports. But on your Twitter, you know, um, interactions this week, you know, there seem to be some people, you know, with varying viewpoints on whether riders should be speaking English or should be speaking their native language, whether something like this needs to be subtitled. Um, what was the the, the gist of the interaction you had and um, what did you make of that
0: yeah I mean there were a few people uh, particularly Americans who were not used to seeing subtitled um, you know TV with subtitles, foreign language TV with subtitles. they used to seeing it dubbed, uh, who were put off a little bit by the subtitles. Um, and I do think that there will be a section of the audience who will not watch because it is subtitles, but I think it's going to be a relatively uh, small one. There's a lot more people who were very enthusiastic about it. And the point is, I mean, the reason that you do subtitle it is because... Uh, the, the writers, everyone involved has to be able to express themselves as fully as possible. You want to capture the emotion of, uh, of the sport, the emotion and the passion which goes into the sport. And you can't do that if you're forcing everyone to speak a second language, uh, which they don't, uh, in many cases, even a third or a fourth language, uh, a language they, they, they don't speak particularly well. Um, uh, in some cases, you know, some of them speak it really badly, some of them speak it okay, some of them speak it really, really well. Um, but the level would have been too difficult, too different Um, and some of them, they would have needed subtitles anyway. You know, they would have needed subtitles because they've got such an incredibly strong accent when speaking English anyway. So you're better off having it in... Um, in their native language, subtitling it because then you can then they are saying exactly what they mean and it, it, that can be conveyed correctly and accurately. I mean, Formula One has this advantage in that it's an English-speaking environment. Um, most of the teams are there, most of the engineers are are, are, are English-speaking, and um, it's very much an English uh, environment. The, the 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 working language is English. In MotoGP, it tends to be, it can be, it's Spanish, Italian, Catalan, and a bit of English. But there's so many different languages all spoken together that you, you can't have a single, you couldn't do it in a single language in the same way that you do in, you do in MotoGP. But from what I've seen, uh, and also talking to people who have seen bits and pieces, uh, it's. Exactly what we hoped it would be. Um, the great thing about GP is you don't have to manufacture drama. This was one of the other things that people were afraid of. Uh, there was so much drama, and there was so much drama last year anyway, just with everything that that went on. Um, it's an exciting series, and I think this is this is really going to come across.
2: I think um, the, the English subtitles thing, I mean, it's, it's down to personal preference, really. Um, I don't think any of us would have any issues, you know, reading subtitles at all. Um, and I, I kind of find it you'd rather read something that is a bit explosive and interesting in another language than just hear boring platitudes mothed in English. And, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm just like some guy that has a vendetta against F1, but... The English level there is sensational. Every driver speaks perfect English. However, every driver is also media trained within an inch of their lives from the age of 14, 15, 16. And there's sometimes where they say things where it's like, I mean, you basically just said nothing there. That was just a a sort of a a boring platitude which doesn't tell us anything about your emotions or about what happened. You gave your 100% and it was what it was. You know, like, wow, thanks for that. And um you know, I prefer. I, I, I've, we've spoken to and worked with some journalists in MotoGP that have experience in the Formula One paddock as well, and um, you know, some of them have told me that they they're just amazed when they go to certain debriefs of certain riders in MotoGP at how open they are and how forthright the riders can be, um, compared to F1. Because uh, F1, uh, to describe or to use one. Um, f- former colleague's description of uh, a, a driver's debrief in F1 sounded like an accountant reading out a spreadsheet. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm all for this. Uh, if, if, if you're receiving and, and hearing explosive content, um, explosive tidbits, but you have to read it in another, you know, subtitles from another language, then, I mean, who cares? Like, uh, it's something we can, that's something we can get around. I don't think it's a, it should be a big deal. That should not... Turn people away. Maybe there will be the, the, the kind of the the person that is no MotoGP fan that might be put off by that, and that is maybe a slight concern. But um, well, I would take uh, I would take really juicy, interesting insights over kind of bland platitudes any day of the week. So well,
1: it's like you said as well earlier, Neil. There is a lot of candid kind of material and if riders are speaking with crew chiefs you know or confidants or whatever in the pit box then the first reaction is not always going to be in you know English is going to be in their native tongue so i think that's an important ingredient towards you know what you're seeing on the screen and um, when it comes to the interviews as well we'll see how they pan out and how it makes the character and the personality that way engaging um, speaking of native languages, uh, the the program itself is made by Media Pro Studios, and they're based in Barcelona, which is, uh, oddly enough, a 15-minute walk away from my residence. So I was able to trot down there last week, and, and people who are on our Patreon level uh, subscription, they would have heard this interview already for one week. So if you fancy getting exclusive material and want to hear stuff before anybody else, then come over and join us. But uh, I was lucky enough to go and grab an appointment with Arnal Monras, like I said, one of the content directors. Uh he explained among other things that the crew had up to 12 terabyte of data and imagery and and footage whatever from each grand prix to cipher so there's plenty of material. I mean the Amazon guys were really hammering it in terms of camera work and capturing all the action. I do wonder if they had official collaboration with teams. I mean I heard a rumor that Yamaha were not participating fully kind of like we saw in the first drive to survive series where Mercedes and Ferrari were not fully on board but once they saw the result then in the second season they you know the producers had a, a larger share of the paddock so it would be curious to see how much Yamaha are involved it could be a, a false rumor of course but was uh, good value he spoke to us in English even though you know he's a native Catalan uh, it's a pretty good interview he talks about all aspects of uh, the production um, you know some of the goals they wanted to achieve I mean he worked on previous documentaries around Fernando Alonso and also the all or nothing Manchester City uh, program, which was pretty revealing. I mean, it had those moments of drama. And of course, football is so popular and access can be so tricky that it's an even more sanitized, perhaps the most sanitized sport we have, uh, if you consider the level of media interaction and the saturation that's provided on a daily basis. So anyway, here's our interview Are now. Enjoy. Um, and let's uh, see you know, if we can learn a little bit more about most GP Unlimited.
0: Fly Racing introduces the new FL2 glove. With molded hard knuckle protection, this race-inspired glove is equipped with palm and gauntlet sliders and touchscreen-compatible fingers. Available in three colors and sizes from small to triple X, the Fly Racing FL2 glove is the perfect answer at the perfect price. Check out flyracing.com to see more.
1: Thanks for talking to us about uh, MotoGP Unlimited. Um, first of all, tell me a bit about you. You know um, your experience, how you became involved with the project. Um, you know what was your role?
3: Well, uh, my experience in in, in documentaries, uh, it's it's. His, oh, I've been involved quite a long time uh, with uh, MediaPro now, and I've done. Uh, a lot of kinds of uh, documentaries. Lately, because there are so many documentaries related to sports, uh, I was working for uh, Amazon in uh, All or Nothing Manchester City. That was my first uh, work in a sports documentary. And then I did this uh, Fernando, which is uh, following Fernando Alonso. That was uh, one season and then the second season. Uh, basically, following him all around the world, doing what he does, uh, preparing for the Formula One in the second season and the previous one, for the 500 miles uh, Indianapolis uh, and the Dakar and all the things that he did. So I was I wasn't involved in motor uh, sports uh, because I did football before and all kinds of. Documentaries, but uh, I, I do like sports very much. I do like uh, motor sports, mainly motorbikes. Uh, when I was young, I, I was one of these fans that go into the circuits, and uh, uh, so I was really <laughs> happy to, to be involved in this project. So I was here in Media Pro, I was working here, and I'm in charge of the content uh, of the series. We are two directors. I'm not the only one. The other one is Jaume Garcia, who's the, the editor. He's in charge of the more, the all the the editing, and I do the script with the help of other people. But I'm in charge of the
1: coordination of the script of the, the whole series. That's my my role in the series. What was the challenge when it came to MotoGP? Because uh, there's eight one-hour episodes, isn't there, in this series? Yes. Um, if you compare it to Fernando Alonso, where you're following one. Driver and Manchester City, I guess is mainly focused around Guardiola and his team even though you have players and other stuff How how was it for MotoGP when you have 24 riders or or, you know the whole kind of championship scene? That's That's,
3: that's by far the the main challenge uh, and content wise Uh, You have lots of characters We cannot follow 24, we have to choose, but even though uh, we have to choose that we have followed um, maybe eight, nine uh, main characters, then there is this uh, uh, secondary characters as well, engineers or uh, team managers or or whoever. So it's very difficult to focus on this this amount of characters and you, you never know what it's going to happen, because that's the, the nature of the competition, of course. So you have to bet on, I'm going to follow this one, but keep an eye on the other one. Uh, um, be careful, because maybe if he wins, or maybe he doesn't win, but or it's on the contrary, he, he crashes, or there is a drama. We are also interested in on all kinds of dramas, no, not only the, the winners. And that's the most difficult part: is to keep following the, all this bunch of characters together and following all the competition chronologically. Yeah. I don't know if I used the right yeah. word. <laughs> and that was very difficult. We, 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 from the very first moment, we thought, okay, we are going to do this, following each GP, and we are not going uh, forward and and back. And, oh, okay. and that. So
1: it's very linear.
3: It's easily it is linear. There are some exceptions, but uh, mainly it's very linear, and that make it, it makes it very difficult sometimes.
1: Interesting, difficult. And... Uh, well, can you tell me about the um, the amount of material you had to work with? I mean, I know the cameramen, the crews were a lot of races. They were filming a lot of stuff. I mean. Compared to some of the other series you worked on, was it more, less, or the the range of the material was it limited? Or? It's um,
3: um, oh, there is a lot of lot of material. Uh, you have to think that uh, maybe after uh, one GP, we had uh, twelve uh, teras uh, tera terabytes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's the the, the project that, uh, that I've been working in with. it never happened to me to to have so much material. With uh, series like uh, Fernando or Manchester City, we also had lots. uh, But in this case, I think that's the uh, the, uh, production uh, with more material, with more footage recorded that I have been involved in. And that means that you have, because because it comes with a format. Uh, If you have to shoot all what happens, you have to be just there in the in the box all the time. Most of the time, maybe not really, not not really some important things going on. You, you know, you, you are uh, you more you know more than me about motorsports, and you know that uh, there are a lot of hours. Sometimes not much is going on, but you have to be there because at some point. Something is going to happen. Well, also the uh,
1: atmosphere, I guess.
3: Uh, and the Atmosphere and and I think I'm very happy with that because we we managed to to deal with this kind of, with this amount of footage. It's been difficult, but uh, that's what we had in mind from the very beginning that uh, that was needed. Uh, we have to be there all the time, not uh, uh, with, without mm, doing anything. In the box, just witnessing what was going there, and not uh, asking for anything,
1: just uh, watching. When it comes to content, I think MotoGP fans um, or people that have might have heard of MotoGP or they know a little bit about it in the past, maybe have seen stuff on MotoGP.com or on the zone or Movie Star or BT Sport and you know it's been very track based it's been small reports and one of the features of maybe a series like drive to survive is taking these drivers these personalities out of the paddock um, and showing stuff they're doing with friends family their pastimes was that something you guys wanted to try to achieve with this series as well yeah yeah definitely Uh,
3: we've been with the riders uh, their homes uh, in all kind of events or uh, training basically what they do is to, <laughs> to go to the gym uh, with bicycle to train it's, it's their job so and we've been uh with them doing that yes uh, definitely we we don't want to do a reportage about the MotoGP. uh there are people doing that and they do it very well is uh, that zone in spain or uh, And we are not doing this because uh, we are following the whole season and we are talking about these characters, their troubles, their success or failures. And it's more about these stories rather than just summarizing uh, races. Uh, This is already done and and even MotoGP.com, Dorna, they do it very well. And uh, if you want to know what's going on in the in this championship, you just follow MotoGP.com or uh, on in Spain. Yeah. But uh, what we are doing is following these people in track, off track, and trying to be there with them. And we want to convey this
1: feeling that uh, you are living with them the championship. It's um, is it sometimes tricky because you want to tell a story about a rider, but maybe the rider or the people around him don't quite have the personality. It doesn't work on the screen, you know. That it's not coming out. Is that sometimes uh, difficult? Uh,
3: yeah, of course, not. Not. Not everybody likes the camera, or uh, I mean, there are people that they, they don't like to be uh, on TV. Uh. It's, it's, normal. I mean, it's, I mean, I wouldn't like to be <laughs> in, my, in my job uh, with a camera all the time. Uh, <laughs> um, so you have to deal with this. Uh, you know that there, there are people who are more expressive or more, uh, yeah, some of them they are shy or some, um, um, you know, that uh, some, of, some of them, maybe because of their personality, Maybe because what what they are doing in the championship, they are not losing or winning. Maybe they are at the end of the GP always at the same position and not a bit it's the, their story is a little bit flat I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and that that happens. Uh, so you have to just um, to make the most of it, uh, maybe. Uh, to go for other characters there are characters that have been diluting or vanishing <laughs> <Yeah,
1: yeah>. <laughs> it, it, it's unavoidable it always happens another thing that's difficult to achieve is I mean for sure this series will appeal to MotoGP fans so people that know the riders, the circuits, the bikes the stories, but then also you want to try to reach new fans so is it always difficult to make a story that you, you want to appeal to both? How, how do you do that? Well, well we,
3: we try to to be a way of, uh, to keep all these technical issues away. Um, we, we have long discussions here, in this very room, talking about, do we have to, to tell to the people what uh, an FP is, how the qualifying sessions work, because maybe then you don't understand what's going on, because you don't know what the Q2 or Q1 is. What we decided at the end is that we we didn't need to 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 tell anybody what's an, an FP or a quality. You know that there is this thrill that they are have they have to to achieve uh, this time or this uh, they have to qualify. It's important to be in the top and the grid. That uh, obviously that we, we, we show that uh, we we, sh- we show all the travels uh, around towing. That's very interesting in the series. You, you see the, the riders angry, very angry, with towing. <laughs> we don't have to, uh, to explain a lot What towing you you see, uh, what, what they are doing. Yeah. And so uh, about your question, how do you do that with fans? How do you draw uh, people who is not a MotoGP fan? That's the main goal always with all these kind of series. When we did Fernando or uh, All or Nothing, all the producers always ask us: uh, "You have to think that uh, we want people who uh, doesn't like
1: Manchester City or yes,
3: and that you achieve this always uh, explaining stories. It's about the storytelling. It's always about the storytelling. It's more about that than sport itself. Having said that." I know. I'm aware that it's very difficult that a, a person that doesn't like sport at all or motorsport. All, there is so much uh, offer, uh, product, uh, TV, 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 so much content that it's very difficult. There is a the, there is one uh, member of the the team that says, "I have a theory. This is for the." girlfriend or the boyfriend of a fan (laughs) uh, of MotoGP. This person close to another one who likes and suddenly says Oh, what you are watching, it's interesting. Uh, Let's see what's going on here. Maybe that's a more um, realistic (laughs) goal. (laughs) This this kind of people. I I mean, my mother, I mean,
1: even if I've done it, <laughs> she won't watch it. Now, are you surprised um, in your professional career how the streaming services have given people a chance to find new sports or new activities through this kind of storytelling and these kind of series? Because before, it wasn't really an option on terrestrial TV, was it? To have such an intense. Uh, collection of, you know, uh, action or stories uh, from one particular thing. I mean, asking people to tune in every week uh, to watch a series, I mean, you lost that traction. And now with Amazon, with Netflix, with Disney+, um, there is a, a platform for people like you to make very engaging kind of content to reach people. That must be quite uh, satisfying. Well, yes, it is. I mean, is. First of all, I love uh,
3: documentaries. I've been in this industry for documentaries and I love sports and that's that's the, the, the best way to put it together is this kind of uh, uh, productions in which as I said before I and mean, at the end of the day well, you, what you like is to see people the, uh, getting emotional and it's not about the, about one rider winning that race which you already know that he that they won that race. Yeah. That, that's uh, that, that's the main difference about these documentaries. Well, when you watch sports, it's always about the thrill. Uh, the if he scores or if he wins. What we do, it's very tricky because, I mean, everybody knows who won the world uh, the, the world championship. Everybody knows that it was Quartararo. Yeah. <laughs> and you are. Telling the story, of the, is he going to win, is Banyanya going to win, Or the, the spectator knows. But in the way you tell it, it's the more important uh, how they reach that uh, point,
1: uh, rather than the, the goal itself. I guess um, the palette that you have to work with is really important there, because if you have good footage and there's lots of behind the scenes stuff that you think, okay, nobody has seen this. Um that must be like just kind of the gold isn't it of the of the yes. series? If you didn't have that those many hours, those twelve terabytes, then it would be very hard i imagine
3: yeah um, uh, well, what we have enjoyed most here is when I say, Wow, what we are watching here I mean nobody have seen that and now we are after some months working in that, you kind of get used to that and sometimes I said to the team, yeah just pay attention because this is very important I and mean, nobody has seen that uh how they talk to the crew chief the, the their engineers you always see the, the rider just getting to the getting off the bike going to the to the box and talking to somebody but you don't know what they are saying and now we will know <laughs> because uh we have been there uh we we have microphones and it technically it is very difficult because it's a very noisy environment but somehow we managed uh, to to get this uh, audio and well the, the viewer will, will see that they, they will see what they are talking about obviously um, it's not all and there are some stuff that are confidential because of the sport is like that uh, I and mean, Everybody knows that, but um, having said that, uh, we are very happy with uh with what we achieved and what they allowed us to use.
1: do you have any favorite moments or a favorite episode that you know you think oh that that was really pretty powerful that worked well
3: uh, i do uh, i i don 't know if I can say that because <laughs> I have to say that it's all very good, but my favorite I mean, I'm not... there are people in the team whose favorite is uh, chapter, uh, episode number five, or uh, my case it's is six. <laughs> and uh, so it's uh, the last one, or mm, in the team there are several uh, opinions. In my case, it's about one episode in which you see uh, the, the thrill of a rider, like uh, in this case, Aleix Espargaró. He, he had this podium in Silverstone and there was all his family there. I mean, the rider he's amazing as a personality. How, how he talks to the people, how passionate he is. Then, in this episode, they also have this amazing race in Aragon, Peco Banyaya and Emar Nárquez. And I especially like this, this episode. But there are uh, in in Austria, episode five, there is all this Maverick, Vinales and Yamaha divorce, which was uh, uh, yeah. I and mean, the, the drama there. <laughs> it was, uh, I mean, the, the story about Vignales and Yamaha, we, we couldn't expect something like that.
1: Uh, and it was, for us, it was a gift. Two more questions, Arnold. Um When it came to working with Dorna, for content was how was that relationship i mean were they quite controlling did they say listen please take this out please keep that in or can we can we change this can we uh, make it more dramatic or how, how was how did that work uh,
3: the relationship was has been very good uh, in the sense that what we i mean i was very happy that the first day they said okay you know how to do that i mean you've done this we trust you and you think that uh, we have to do it this way, just go ahead. And... It's good to have uh,
1: that freedom.
3: uh, And of course there is always some details that, wow, this... And We've been in race direction uh, when, uh, sadly, this uh, rider, Jason Dupasquier, had this fatal accident. We were there in the race direction. We were in the race direction when Quartararo had this uh, ladder open. And there are, I mean, the situations were very uh, sensitive, and we show this. But of course, there are always some details that you have to adjust, because uh, I mean, we are talking about people who are in very, very uh, dramatic situations. Mm, but in general, it's uh, I mean, the, the relation with Dorna has been uh, amazing because they they really they're. They want to show the the championship as we wanted to show it. We, the the goal was the same, and they mainly above all they trust us, and that that makes you to work very. Uh, I mean, it's, it's it's much better to work that way, of course.
1: Lastly, I mean, you almost, you talked about it a little bit before, but are we in a very, um, like a golden period for sports documentary making? I mean, is this a way that uh, sports, whether it's the NFL or, you know, the the EPL, uh, you know, in brand new sports can reach better, bigger, new audiences? I mean, I think, again, if we take Drive to Survive with the effect they've had in the U.S. market alone, um, you know, there's, there's an example of how this kind of medium can um, you know really open up possibilities I mean it's almost like a sport has to have it these days
3: uh, I mean I don't know how much room uh, is left for uh, sports <laughs> <laughs> but uh, obviously uh, there was this kind of uh, of content in, of content it, it didn't exist I don't know. If, Five years ago, I mean, there, there's there always been this kind of documentaries. and uh, so the theatrical one,
1: they, theatrical. Yeah,
3: reasons. well, there is this documentary. I mean, I think it's thirty years uh, old. Is Hoop, Hoop Dreams. Yeah, Hoop Dreams is very famous, and that was, I mean, they were they were at, uh, ahead of the of the times, so, but mainly this the. the this amount of productions, uh, I think this is just about uh, some years. I, I don't know uh, how, how many more uh, documentaries we can do about the sports, I guess that uh, as, as many as the people wanted to watch. Now, if you look at The Last Dance, I mean this is a retro retrospective. Uh... In, in, uh, the the last dance phenomenon phenomena is, is very uh, is amazing because uh, we thought that we knew all about uh, Michael Jordan about the bulls and suddenly this footage appears that uh, it was never used and uh, apparently uh, he said okay now we can use it and now let's let's do it I mean, that's for the producers that's is, uh, uh, to, to have footage unseen. <laughs> in inside the the, uh, the bulls in the 90s uh, and did and they did it very well of course uh, um, as your question I I, I, don't, I don't know I think that the sports uh, the, the audience is getting always bigger I don't know if it's gonna stop but um, as long as uh, people want to, to watch this there will be more mm, serious like this one and in many others, I'm sure.
1: Would you be happy to work on another MotoGP show, or do you think the stories are kind of can be repetitious? Uh,
3: I mean, if the series is uh, is a success, which I'm very confident it will be, <laughs> um, well, I guess that they they will they they, they want. Uh, I mean, why to why stop if it's uh, a success? So. I don't know, we we don't know officially if there is a second season, but uh, if I'm going, I'll I'll be happy to do it because um, I enjoy it uh, very much. So if there is a second one, okay, let's do it. And I'm sure there will be more stories to tell.
1: March the 14th. So that's the air date for MotoGP Unlimited on Amazon Prime. Check it out. We will be as well. And we'll try and get another interview, actually, of one of the producers just to see if there's going to be a second season. I heard there is uh, rumored to be a second season and and the film crew will be filming in Qatar. So fingers crossed. Um, And it's interesting, actually, Dave, and Neil. the the metric for success. I mean, I was talking with now as we're walking out of the building after the interview and he said, you know, it's not quite. Viewer numbers, but also people that subscribe to something like Amazon or Netflix or Disney plus specifically and go for a series and click straight onto it so maybe in disney plus 's case it might be the Mandalorian you know a star wars if if they 're going straight into the platform and clicking on that then you know, somebody like Disney can make the association that they've gained a new subscriber because of that series. So, if something like this happens for Muli GP Unlimited, that's going to be an even stronger case for this thing running on. I think Drive to Survivors is in its fourth or fifth season now.
0: The one thing that is a bit confusing is that if they want to start a uh, filming a second season, they're going to need to start at Qatar. Um, uh, but the you know the, the, the debut the um, uh, the, the, show, the the premiere of the show isn't used to, isn't going to start until the 14th of March and so uh, it, it's a bit hard to judge the success of the series if it hasn't even started yet so we'll we'll see if that I mean I do hope they do make a second series like I say I'm really looking forward to seeing it I think it is going to be uh, a, a success the personalities are big the personalities are exciting um, the sport is exciting um, we're never going to be as big as f1 and it's never going to be as popular as drive to survive but I do think it's going to uh, get a lot of people into the sport I think it's going to bring a lot of uh, um, people who have no interest in motorcycles as such or motorcycle racing as such uh into the sport because you're going to see sort of some raw unvarnished and real characters
2: I think it's also going to be good for you know people like for example we're going to be watching it because we work in this Field and, and we love it, and we're passionate about it. But perhaps our uh, partners might sit down and watch it with us, and I think that it could maybe draw them in. Um, yeah, you just wonder will it will it drag in the kind of the the, the average Joe on the street that you know likes to watch football and, and has no real interest or knowledge of motorsport. That's the, the the kind of the that's the sort of demographic that it seems Drive to Survive has been exceptionally good at pulling in. And attracting to the sport and uh, well i mean amazon obviously is a a huge platform um with a huge global audience um but i i I guess we just can't predict you know i'm sure the content will be good enough but um we aren't i guess there's no way to know exactly how just how how big a pull it will have on on kind of new fans demographics of people that would never normally be interested in this kind of thing but uh, i think if the product speaks for itself that's that's really the most you can hope for
1: that's right our interview on Ras actually like you mentioned appeared on the Patreon level um, Dave you've got another interview coming up for our Patreon subscribers uh, who did you speak to
0: I spoke to um, Sam Lowe's at uh, the Portimao test uh, a very um, honest and frank and revealing interview um, he was very very good Value 20 I think was ended up speaking 25 minutes for him and he's a, you know he's a, uh, always a delight to speak to, speak to and well worth uh, listening well listen
1: well, knowing Sam, 25 minutes, I meant you asked him three or four questions at the most. <laughs> so uh, we'll look, look forward to hearing that. And then, of course, uh, Dave, Neil, and myself will be back on the Paddle Pass podcast, hopefully with Steve, if he's not uh, doing some personal grooming, some personal golfing, or looking after himself in some other aspect uh, next week, where we'll be looking towards Qatar and the long awaited approach of the 2022 gp season. Thanks for listening.
0: This episode of the Paddock Pass Podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler, David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com. When you're barbecuing every day,
2: you need to get down to the gym every day. (laughs)
0: I was going to say, it's not as if he's going to be at the barbers getting his hair cut.